0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge of Wharton.
1: Late last year, the White House issued waivers allowing several big banks out from under punishment linked to the LIBOR scandal. Part of that is receiving a waiver that allows companies who have violated security statutes to still be able to manage some of those savings. The Trump administration did allow waivers between three and five years for some of those banks. Uh, Where the trouble comes in is the documentation that President Trump owes $130 million to one of those banks, Deutsche Bank, from his personal business. To discuss this, we are joined here in studio by Peter Conti Brown of the Wharton School and joining us on the phone, Bill Black, who's an associate professor of economics and law at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, as well as a former financial regulator. And also joining us is uh, David Enrich, who is a financial editor at The New York Times, and he is also the author of the book The Spider Network, which is about the LIBOR scandal. Peter, great seeing you again. Happy New Year to you. Thanks Happy for coming in. Great. Bill, great to have you back with us. David, as well, thank you both for joining us. Happy New Year to you both. Happy New Year. Yeah. Thank you both. Uh, so, Peter, your reaction to this story, I, I mean, this is this is one that's drawing obviously a lot of attention quickly. It's drawing attention because of the opacity
2: of the president's financial holdings and financial dealings uh, generally. I think more than the, uh, the real evidence of a quid pro quo. To put this, in context, I mean these these uh, these waivers. Right, the structure of this is that if you, as a parent company, have a subsidiary that's convicted of a crime or pleads guilty to some kind of criminal activity, you're barred from participating yep. as qualified professional asset managers. Now, think about this, right? This is these are sprawling financial conglomerates that are around the globe with tens of thousands yep. of. Entities. So these in different countries, in different countries, doing different businesses. Yeah. So one criminal might have nothing to do with another asset manager, and so that's the idea. So you get these waivers. Like, okay, well, we'll issue a waiver. Until a few years ago, that was pretty uh, standard. It was kind of rubber stamped. The Obama administration, uh, uh, the, the Obama administration's Department of Labor started to exact more scrutiny, issued uh, more conditions on the waivers, made them shorter. And so now what we see may have been just a garden variety uh, political regime change where Republicans are going to be less exacting than their Democratic predecessors, or maybe it's a quid pro quo. Right. We don't know this because there's so little information known about uh, the relationship between the president and his
1: creditors. David, what's your reaction to it?
0: I mean, I don't think there's any evidence that this is a quid pro quo. I mean, this is something that, uh, you know, as you just said, this is been, there's a tendency of rubber stamming that the Obama administration had been exacting a little more scrutiny, but the reality is it had been extending these waivers as well. I do think what, the reason this is newsworthy, I mean, there are two reasons. One is that uh, it was done essentially in the dead of night. It was, I believe, uh, December 29th, which is a time when absolutely nobody is paying attention, and that does not seem likely to be a coincidence. It seems like something they were trying to do that no one would notice. And And the second thing, the fact that Trump not only is a big creditor of Deutsche Bank, but also that he has been – he and the bank have not been at all transparent about the full extent of their financial dealings. And I think that it it, it basically invites conspiracy theories. And I think the reality is there's probably not any connection at all between Trump being a creditor of this bank and this bank along with several others – getting these waivers. I and mean, if, if Trump wants to help Deutsche Bank, there are many other more direct things he can do that would be much more helpful to them. Um, but again, this is a reminder that when you have uh, the most powerful person in the world and his family with deep financial entanglements with some of the biggest financial institutions in the world and a refusal to fully either recuse themselves or come clean and disclose the extent of
3: the relationship, Uh it just invites these conflicts and invites these problems, and it's not healthy.
1: Bill, what's your reaction?
3: Probably not 130 million uh, from Deutsche Bank to Trump. It's probably 300 million is the best estimate. Uh, Second, it is his absolute vital uh, financial um, lifeline. Uh, Deutsche Bank is the only bank, uh, major bank in the world that will still lend to Donald Trump because of his uh, sequential uh, bankruptcies. And uh, it, it, it uh, continues to lend to him despite him suing them uh, for massive amounts of money in suits that seem uh, completely bogus. Uh, so there is a bizarre relationship uh That needs to be examined and is, uh, according to all evidence, uh, being examined by the uh, independent counsel. Uh, So we don't know what the facts are, and there's no sense uh, particularly guessing uh, what the facts uh, are as to whether there's a quid pro quo. That's a matter for investigation. This is actually uh, the smaller of the waivers. Um, My uh, colleagues are correct that it was definitely done uh, in the uh, depth of the uh, uh, Christmas season uh, to make sure that it would have minimal uh, publicity, uh, but it didn't work uh, fully because of the nature of these circumstances. If normal uh, criminal provisions were in place, Um, entities like Deutsche Bank would not be allowed to do business in the United States, given their criminal records, Uh, and in particular their criminal records with regard to Russia uh, as well. So we have to remember that these are very unusual, super favorable provisions for corporations, and that they became scandalous uh, under the Obama administration when they were routinely given... Uh, to banks who um, were engaging in felony after felony after felony uh, in area after area, and in which, uh, as our colleague who wrote the book about the spider network, um, you know, LIBOR was the largest uh, price fixing scheme uh, by three orders of magnitude in world history.
1: Peter? Right. I mean, yeah. I'm mean,
3: oh, sorry, go ahead. Th- go ahead, David.
0: Well, what I was going to say is that there's – to me, the biggest takeaway from all of this is there's this yawning gap between the way big, powerful corporations and banks are treated by the criminal justice system and the way individuals have been. And we've seen – and this is, I think, nowhere more evident than in the Labor scandal because you have a small number of individuals who are kind of mid-level traitors at these institutions who are who have been convicted of crimes and sentenced to prison, and in at least one case, a very long prison sentence. and juxtapose that with the way that the top executives of these institutions were treated and the way that the institutions themselves were treated. I mean, Deutsche Bank, UBS, uh, and a half dozen other big banks, were they pleaded guilty to serious crimes, and were their sentences were essentially big monetary penalties with the stipulation that it was going to restrict them from doing certain amounts of business in the United States. And it You know, there are strong arguments on both sides as to whether there is – whether these waivers should be granted. But the reality is this is an act of leniency that's being granted now by the Trump administration, but previously by the Obama administration. And that leniency has not existed for the lower-level individuals who have kind of bared the brunt of the law enforcement scrutiny on this. And if you're looking at this through the lens of how do you prevent future financial crises, and how do you hold – institutions and individuals accountable for their misconduct this is a crazy way to do it I and mean, you should be going after people that are much higher up in the pecking order and you should be making this much more painful for institutions in a way that their shareholders will kind of prioritize these cultural and conduct issues in a much greater way rather than just letting them off the hook
1: peter
2: i think this is also a phenomenon of just the bureaucratization of finance, which is centuries old. <clears throat> what I mean by that is that it's not simply, uh, you know, a, a Rothschild or or, uh, or even any other uh, extremely powerful financier, J.P. Morgan the United States, somebody making decisions that command capital flows, mm-hmm. right? It uh, becomes a na- there's a namelessness to it, and uh, that bureaucratization feeds this idea that the only appropriate penalty is for the bureaucracy. Uh, to write a check. And the name on that check will be the treasurer, all right, who had nothing to do with anything. It's just the bureaucracy uh, uh, as uh, paying a cost of doing business. I think the important question that these kinds of examples feed is even, even with the vastness of our financial conglomerates uh, uh, and their complexity, there are still people. Right. Yeah. There are people all the yeah. way down, up and down. And so the the appropriate question, I think, that David is getting at is is how do you tie those personal uh, uh, incentives to personal behavior with personal consequences? the financial institutions will fight that tooth and nail because their argument is it's not personal; it's bureaucracy. Right. Yeah. It's it's hurting. It's industry. And so if there's a problem here, then we'll we'll pay the fine and and move on. Um, and the, the question that that prompts is, is that the best way to run a f- global financial
1: system? But I, I guess when you're talking about the, these banking entities that are so large, and as we were saying with Deutsche Bank, have so many entities in countries all around the, the globe, to take them out of, of one country or take them out of multiple countries would have a significant negative impact, I would think, on the banking entity as a whole, correct? Correct.
2: Well, indeed, that's the very design, right? Is to have that significant negative consequence to focus the shareholders and the senior executives' minds uh, on exactly the gravity of the purported criminal activity. Um, regardless where you stand on whether we should uh, criminalize this kind of kind of behavior, or or or, uh, or really about about the way that this has proceeded, appropriate question is. If we agree that this behavior is criminal, it's appropriate to use uh, uh, criminal penalties to penalize this kind of behavior, sure. then should it be such a fee-based system, right? right. Uh, or should we create penalties that are, that are better associated with, with, with criminality? And if the answer is no, we just feel really uncomfortable with that, we really feel uncomfortable. These are either too big to jail or we don't want to criminalize this kind of activity then change the criminal code, right? right. Uh, don't, don't give us the worst of both worlds, which is to uh, criminalize this activity, but then not enforce this uh, in the way that we would expect uh, for criminal activity.
3: Bill? Yeah, I'd like to bring together two of my hats, white-collar criminologist and former financial regulator. First, um, the world would be much better off uh, if there was no Deutsche Bank. Um, So we we very much want – I mean, you want to talk about creative destruction in economics. There are few acts of uh, more creative destruction than taking a pervasively, repetitively fraudulent place that endangers world security uh, out of the business of uh, banking. Um, The second thing in all of this is – the failure to take seriously these kind of actions. So the United States regulators, uh, although they weren't really regulators, they were traders uh, at the Fed, and in fact the New York Fed uh, were first informed about the LIBOR conspiracy, and and they were informed on two different two different traders on uh, two different but uh, near in time occasions, where their counterparts. We're saying, well, you you realize, right, that uh, all of this stuff is fixed, you know, gamed uh, and such. So look uh, sometime at the resultant letter uh, from the guy who was then the New York Fed president and who would become the Treasury secretary under President Obama, Geithner, uh, to his British counterpart. Uh, It never uses the word fraud. It never uses the word antitrust violation or crime. He never made a criminal referral. Uh, It was up to the lowly uh, Commodities Future Trading Commission to say, uh, guys, you, you do realize, right, that this is a massive crime and that we need to make a criminal referral. And indeed, Geithner's memo to the British counterparts suggested that the remedy would be to bring more you more massive u.s banks in to the libor setting process
1: 844 wharton is the number to give us a call 844-942-7866 or if you'd like send us a comment via twitter either at biz radio 111 or my twitter account which is at dan 21 i'd like to know peter if you can touch on this or or david uh Deutsche Bank has been fined by New York State. They've obviously had penalties uh, put down against them. What does this decision do towards those penalties? Does it do nothing? What is what is the impact, Peter? Nothing. Oh, sorry. Okay, go ahead, David. <laughs> David, go ahead first.
0: I mean, the answer is nothing. This is, and again, I think there's a danger in overstating the significance of these waivers. I mean, this is something that it... It's a fairly narrow waiver that allows not only Deutsche Bank, but several other banks as well, uh, to continue doing a fairly narrow slice of business with the United States government regarding the management of pension assets, essentially. And that's, you know, it's not tr- completely trivial and it's worth noting, but I-, I think this would be: have the Trump administration done this in a transparent manner, not on, in the middle of a vacation? And if they – and if President Trump did not have this deep and fairly controversial relationship with Deutsche Bank, this would be unremarkable. Uh, so the, what, what's surprising here, again, is the kind of secretive way in which they've handled this and the secretive way in which uh, the president has managed his financial relationship while, since taking office. And those are – and Deutsche Bank – is not going to be the, – the effect on Deutsche Bank's bottom line from this waiver is not only pretty minimal, but it's also probably smaller than the effect on the bottom line that this will have on the other banks that receive these waivers. So I, I do think that Deutsche Bank has become radioactive as a result of its lender of last resort status with the president and his family, and I think that's very understandable, but I, I think it's a little bit unfair to paint um, them as the single most evil financial institution or the single most screwed up financial institution in the world. And they're, they've had a lot of problems. They've been in a lot of trouble, but so have a lot of other banks, including in most of the American banks, which received enormous bailouts and have received you know tens of billions of dollars in penalties for ripping off their mortgage customers. And in some cases, yep. making up accounts and finding millions of ways to screw people over. So I, I think it's sometimes convenient to point the finger at Deutsche Bank as this kind of the evil empire, but that ignores the some very significant problems that exist in the U.S. banking system as well.
1: Peter?
2: The place where I might disagree with the total irrelevance of this to other investigations is I think David is right that these run on parallel tracks. One of the things that we're seeing out of New York, especially, is some real tension vis-à-vis the federal government within the uh, within the financial context. So not just on um, uh, money laundering, which was the New York investigation on uh, uh, on Deutsche's connections to Russia, um, but in things just like uh, 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 charter switching and examinations that uh, for uh, you know foreign bank organizations that have. State charters switching then to have national charters so that they can choose their supervisor. We've already seen an example of this. Uh, watching the news from inside the New York uh, Attorney General's office or their uh, uh, their their banking regulator's office and saying, "Well, now the feds are just falling down on the job." Right. I think David's right that that's unfair to say. Well, it's just about uh, special attention. I think that this isn't the stuff of conspiracy theory completely. I think there's enough. Smoke here to wonder if there is a fire. Not that right. there is a fire, but that r- certainly warrants further investigation. And the New York uh, banking regulator might see itself as the best uh, uh, entity to conduct those in kinds of investigations. And certainly, they're, they've interpreted their their bailiwick here to be so expansive that they would have little trouble uh, uh, proceeding. Now, is that going to be? Is this? New Year's Eve waiver going to be the, th- the thing that prompts New York to be more aggressive? No, New York's right. already aggressive. Sure, yeah. uh, Does it feed the narrative that New York has actively been, uh, uh, been promulgating, that they are going to be more aggressive than the feds? Well, it absolutely does. It's consistent with that narrative.
1: Bill? Hello, Bill?
3: Uh, yes. Okay, what go ahead. What you've just heard is an indictment, not a defense. If you're saying that uh, Deutsche Bank just looks like uh, all these other sleazy, massive banks, then we have a massive failure of deterrence. And one of the reasons what people need to remember is the particular waiver you're talking about is one of, as my counterparts have said, the smaller waivers. But it is one of dozens of waivers, of what would normally be in the criminal laws. And those waivers are particularly important for uh, Deutsche Bank and UBS because neither of them should be allowed to do business in the United States of America if normal felony provisions that we use elsewhere were applied to these banks. And by the way, that would be fatal to the Trump empire. (laughs) if if Deutsche Bank could not deal with the United States. So we have a massive failure of deterrence, and this is simply uh, one example of a much, much broader pattern that has defeated deterrence, and, as my colleagues have said, results in widespread, massive fraud, corruption, and predation. We should fix that. We shouldn't just say, well, they're not really much worse than the others.
1: But can you expect that to happen, Bill, with kind of the culture that we've seen between the government and the banking sector over the last few decades? And and kind of the expectation, I think, by some people of, you know what, it it is bad, it is wrong, but it's unfortunately part of the game.
3: Well, I have a standard answer to that, that, uh, of course, uh, modern financial regulators are vastly more sophisticated than uh, we were back when we actually regulated, because we had never figured out that leaving uh, felons in charge of your most important uh, financial institutions was the key to maintaining uh, financial stability. 844-942-7866
1: 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Your comments are welcome. 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So, David, is your expectation this will, to a degree, I mean, this specific incident uh, will kind of fade away into the sunset?
0: Yeah, I think it'll fade away very quickly, actually. And I think it'll be quickly... Uh, subsumed by, you know, tomorrow's news or the next week's news on another step that regulators are taking to kind of loosen the reins on the big banks, and that—that that to me is the biggest story right now. Yeah, which is that there the pendulum has swung from in, in the years immediately following the crisis to being very zealous, arguably overzealous, if you take the bank's opinions. Uh, but very tough regulation, um, maybe not as tough as it could have been, but still much tougher than it had been in the past. And now that pendulum is swinging very quickly in the opposite direction. And Trump, for better or for worse, has surrounded himself by people whose backgrounds and ideologies are favor a much uh, more hands-off approach to regulating not just the financial system but many industries. And you know, you can argue. I think they're actually. It's, it's easy to kind of slide into demagoguery here and I think the reality is that some of the regulations that have been crafted in the post-crisis era were not that well conceived and had some unintended consequences and I think you know no one likes taking Wall Street's side because Wall Street has made a huge mess of so many things over the past couple decades and but the reality is probably changing some of these regulations wouldn't be a bad idea but what's actually happening is that instead of kind of tinkering and fixing things there's a wholesale rollback of supervision. And I think it's not just on laws being changed, but it's on regulators essentially deciding that they're going to systematically take the industry's side on things and make it just much easier for them to do business across the board. And, you know, we'll see a decade from now how that turns out. And I think if uh, looking at this empirically, there, I, I think when the next crisis erupts, we're going to kind of do our postmortem and. Look at this moment right now that we're having as a crucial turning point, where a lot of mistakes are made and things move way too quickly to just let the free market work its magic. And you know that also has a lot of unintended consequences. And we've seen how this movie ends in the past. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's a sequel.
2: Peter, I, I agree with David. I think that part of the uh, news—I mean, the only newsworthiness uh, here is just kind of a paroxysm of uh, of lamentation about. The president's financial holdings and dealings, and the fact that it he a historically uh, refused to give us much of anything, and so uh, you know the the dribs and drabs that come out about his financial relationships do feed these kinds of inquiries. Incidentally, this is exactly the reason why you make these disclosures, so that you turn what would be garden-variety regulatory or supervisory decisions, uh, uh, you keep them from turning into uh, uh, you know, this uh, a crazy story that, in fact, has no legs beneath it. Again, I have no opinion on, on whether that's true here or not, but uh, it's completely consistent with both Obama uh, and Trump administration decisions to grant these waivers. Um, and so I think that we will continue to see more of these uh, expressions of... Of consternation and frustration about the president's financial holdings um, uh, uh, in the future, um, and that's going to change the tenor of these very conversations. I mean, if we the thought experiment is if Mitt Romney were president, what would his financial regulators be doing? Sure. In other yeah. words, you know, what if a mainstream Republican were president? And I think the answer for a lot of the deregulatory uh, moves here would be. Pretty much the same thing, right? Indeed, you might think if, uh, if Hillary Clinton were president, would we be seeing some of these as well? And I think the answer would be yes. But the narrative changes completely, uh, given the president's financial holdings and given the uncertainty uh, 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 surrounding them. That feeds not just the conspiracy theorists. Yeah, It feeds people thinking, what would happen if Deutsche put its thumb on the spigot and just said, you know, we're not going to lend further to the Trump organization? does that change the president's decision-making? Does yeah. that mean that he'll intervene? And I don't think that those are out-of-bounds questions. Uh, they simply wouldn't exist if we had better disclosures uh, about uh, the president's Bill? financial Bill?
3: Bill? Well, first, we know the answer. If uh, Deutsche Bank stops lending, Trump goes bankrupt. Second, these are not really regulatory decisions. These are criminal decisions. The normal standards built in to the law would not have these waivers. So we are making very specialized waivers that we do not make for other felons. And as my colleagues have said, it ain't working. They think that Deutsche Bank is no worse than uh, 20 other institutions of the largest banks in the world. And that's with good reason, after all. Every large bank that had a chance to enter into the LIBOR conspiracy did so, all right? Yeah. That, should be, that should scare you to death. That should cause you to seek action, not through regulation necessarily, but through actually applying the criminal laws, which we are not doing
1: Great having you all with us today. Uh, Peter, great seeing you again. Thank you for coming in. Great seeing you. Bill, great having you on the phone with us. David, as well, thank you for joining us on the phone. Thank Thank you. Thank you both. Uh, Peter Connie Brown of the Wharton School joining me here in studio. Bill Black at the University of Missouri-Kansas City. And David Enrich of the New York Times.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.